You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama Thursday afternoon. We are roaring through this week, only a day away from the weekend. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Fantastic. How are you doing, Noah? Doing good. Thursdays are a good day, typically. I don't I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just happy that I'm reaching the end of the week, but I'm living the dream, too. So the weekend's always welcomed, but never a bad day in the studio, my man. That's right. And we also have some great weather today. I know it was kind of cloudy, a little icky earlier this morning. but it's Well, the forecast of... was not great for today. No, and it, it was has, not. It has turned out to be a good day. It's, it's very clear outside. I love it whenever it's just a, a windy, partially cloudy day. It's nice and sunny outside. Beautiful weather right here in Alabama. Coming up on today's show, we're going to start off the show talking some Auburn football in a couple of segments. We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us at 2.30 here on On the Line. Look forward to getting his insights into Auburn football, basketball, and women's basketball. We'll also talk a little bit about what Gus Malzahn's doing at UCF. Hate to bring back that guy up, but, you know, he is trolling Florida at the moment, and that makes us all laugh because he's not our problem anymore, right? (laughs) So he's down in Central Florida putting up billboards, trolling Florida. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things going down there in that state. And LSU's got a quarterback battle going on that Ed Orgeron gave an update on. we got a lot of stuff here on On the Line. You can call in at 334-321-1390. Of course, we will talk about what you want us to talk about, so call in at 334-321-1390. Find Lance and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Intern Jaws. I'm going to ask you this every day, my man. Have you found a new Twitter handle? No, but I was tooling with it last night, and I'm coming up with more and more different things. I just haven't found something that I, I'm very happy with that doesn't sound stupid. Uh, every, every <laughs> I've, I came up with a few things initially, and now looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's stupid. I can't go with that. Anything that you can share with the public? Um, no, nothing in particular. I, I just I, I don't want to have Jaws in it, and I'm just trying to figure out what that may be. There's literally nothing that I've exa- like specifically landed on yet, but I am trying to figure out a new Twitter handle. I like Jaws a lot. I, I just I don't I've never seen the movie, so I can't. I'm not partial well, to it. Change that, man. I'm not partial to it. I got I got to either see the movie or move on. One of the two. Let's open up the show here now. A question that I was asking myself after we saw Auburn's defensive assistant coaches speak to the media yesterday because we had the whole we 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 had the whole gamut, all four of them, all of the position coaches with the exception of course of Derek Mason who is the defensive coordinator, but also he's coaching the safeties. We got all four of Auburn football's defensive position coaches yesterday with the media and in watching those press conferences and hearing them all speak for the first time and we probably really won't get them maybe ever again in terms of uh in terms of a press conference for the rest of this spring and then maybe even into the fall as well I I, that was not something that Gus Malzahn did often 
he would do he would do his press conference and then there would be coordinators but you never really got position groups so this is something new but it is welcomed at least from my perspective because I want to get to know the guys who are coaching the players individually or spending the most time with them and something that is talked about often is when you when you look out onto the football field and this is often talked about in a negative way when something bad happens but players oftentimes take on the same personality or leadership traits of the people that are leading them which is their coaches and so for me I want to talk about this now that we've gotten to see them all in person now that we've gotten to see them speak to the media and to the public and we've gotten at least a glimpse at who they are as a coach I want to talk about what type of personalities we think each of these defensive position groups will take on. We're splitting it up into defensive line linebackers and defensive backs. I think this is a really good way to kind of take a introspective look at this football program in an area that probably doesn't get talked about enough, which is personality traits and how that affects the game of football. Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I'm really excited that we've actually gotten to be able to engage with some of these position group coaches over the past few days here. Really exciting to get to hear words from guys like Nick Easton and Burt Watson, just listen to them talk about these different positions, positions and talk about how excited they are to be here and it's a great thing to actually get to open up something that we didn't really get to see uh, while Malzahn was here on the planes just not a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of explaining just a, just a lot of coach speak and I think we're, we, we have gotten that with Harsons uh, so far uh, under his tenure but I'm really happy with what I'm getting to see just the program being more open being more available and really appreciative of things like the open uh, practice that Harson held and these extra press conferences. Before we get into this topic, actually news just broke as soon as we went on air and we missed it. Tipton Edits at Tipton Edits, a little college basketball news here. Texas Tech transfer Namari Burnett has committed to Alabama. Former five-star prospect coming out of high school and Alabama continues to add to this recruiting class that before this commitment was already ranked in the top three of college basketball's recruiting classes, it just got a little bit deeper. Oh man, I'm. So, what were his other targets? Is what I want to know. I want well, to know who Auburn, else was I going believe, after him. Was on the list, but I think that's more token than anything because I don't know how serious he was about Auburn, and I really didn't hear enough about Auburn in his recruitment. I didn't to either. think Auburn as a legitimate location for Namari Burnett, but man, Alabama's recruiting class right now, including a lot of transfers. And if you thought based on all of the guys exiting this year, like Herb Jones and Jordan Bruner and yep. some of their other stars of this, it's a, as far as some of these other stars right now on this Alabama basketball team that are exiting, that were a big part of their run to the Sweet 16. If you thought this Alabama basketball team was going to struggle next year, well, they're retooling at the moment to add some serious studs to this basketball program no, no I'm gonna be honest I, I obviously because I'm an Auburn fan I have a lot of bias towards uh just Auburn and then just hating on Alabama and just a couple of days ago uh I saw I believe it was the Washington Post that actually put Alabama at number one in their preseason poll for next year's college basketball season I was telling you it was like that's insane how could they possibly do that they lose so much but you you turned me to the fact that they had they bring in one of the best recruiting classes in the nation and then couple it now with the addition of Namari Burnett, I mean, this team is reloading. They're doing what the football team does, which is they just reload. And so now, now under NATO, it's heading into, I believe it's year three. Uh, there's some potential to make an even deeper tournament run next season for the Crimson Tide. 
a look at the recruiting class before Namari Burnett just committed. You got J.D. Davison, of course, the five-star point guard, number one overall point guard in the class of 2021, number nine overall player in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. You also had small forward Jashan Holt. I believe that's how it's pronounced, Jashan Holt out of Roswell, Georgia, number 103 player nationally, number 24 small forward in the country. You also had power forward, four-star Langston Wilson. This one listed as... Well, he's listed as the number one power forward in the country, according to 24-7 Sports right now. And then you've also got Charles Bediaco, a hard commit at the moment, but has not signed his letter of intent, a center, four-star, and he's the number four center in the class of 2021, number 26 player nationally. And now you add a veteran experience transfer player in Namari Burnett. This Alabama team, once again, this is... They're reloading for next year, and it's going to make this rivalry especially fun between Auburn and Alabama. When you talk about the players that are coming into Auburn's program at the moment, you've got number five overall prospect in the entire country and Jabari Smith, and then you got Trey Alexander also coming, and then Auburn's just waiting on a couple of a couple of signatures in terms of transfers as well. We've seen Auburn miss on a couple of guys, and we'll get Justin Ferguson's thoughts on this later. We've seen Auburn miss on a couple of guys, a couple of targets, and I put that in air quotes because I think they were lower down on Auburn's recruiting board, like Mirion Jones that committed to Florida, the Penn State transfer. I think he was a little bit lower on Auburn's target list, but we haven't seen any of the prime targets for this Auburn basketball team at this moment. Guys like Ty Ty Washington, Walker Kessler, and then the Furman Power Forward, whose name is whose name is currently missing me at the moment. I, th- I think his I think his name is Noah something. And he he has not committed yet. So there's some major transfers out there that Auburn has not been able to close in on yet. But that's because they haven't announced their transfer locations at the moment. Yeah, actually, the I believe the the Furman transfer you're talking about is Noah Gurley. Uh, I believe he actually got a plan to ch- to a uh, chance to play against Auburn just a couple of years ago. Furman took Auburn to overtime. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, like you said, Auburn's been going after some of these top guys that they're interested in, guys like Xavier Pinson and Walker Kessler. Nobody's quite landed yet. Um, again, well, even though they haven't really committed to anybody else, Auburn hasn't really lost a transfer that they were heavily interested in. Um, but guys like Kessler and Penson, you know, they've just kind of been sitting there waiting. We haven't really seen uh, anything on them, haven't really gotten a whole lot of answers. I do believe, and I, you have a different opinion on this, I believe that Auburn should be going after Xavier Pinson to kind of fill that guard spot just a little bit more. And I'm I'm really intrigued by the addition of him to this roster. You, on the other hand, simply because he's a Conzo Martin product, <laughs> you are I'm skeptical. I'm averse to Missouri, man. I really am. The, this past Missouri team I felt was so overrated. Really didn't look like a tournament team going into the tournament, but their first half, or first two-thirds of the season really helped get them there. And so I'm not super high up on most Missouri products coming out because Quanzo Martin teams don't exactly shout offensively efficient, don't exactly. They, they, they're they definitely one of the slower brands in basketball, at least we've seen over the years under Quanzo Martin. And you and I both, and Levi as well, can all agree that that brand of basketball is not the most attractive brand of basketball no. to watch. And I don't know how Xavier Pinson fits into a Bruce Pearl up-tempo style, but I'm sure he fits in just fine. Once again, I trust Bruce Pearl completely in talent evaluation and roster rebuilding and whatnot. So 
I'm not concerned on Xavier Pinson transferring to Auburn. I'm just not super high up on a lot of the Missouri products after the end of the season. I want to go back and correct something I said about Alabama prospect Langston Wilson, also a part of their recruiting class. I said he was the number two power forward. He's the number one JUCO transfer power forward. So they got the number one JUCO transfer at power forward at 6'9", 200, also in Langston Wilson. And then, of course, the news that broke as we went on air, Namari Burnett of Texas Tech, former five-star prospect, added to this Alabama recruiting class that already features four players, was ranked number third, was ranked number three nationally. It's going to jump up just a little bit more with this transfer coming in from Texas Tech, Namari Burnett, once again, another five-star prospect out of high school things just didn't work out for him in Lubbock and he decided he wanted to change the scenery and I guess the brand of basketball that Alabama played this year spoke to him and I feel like that's a lot of what we're seeing on the recruiting trail at the moment a lot of these guys want to play in that up-tempo style system Alabama's experiencing a lot of what Auburn experienced a couple of seasons ago after Auburn made a tournament run folks wanted to play in this style of play at Auburn up-tempo attractive style and it's brought some high-profile recruits to Auburn, Alabama, now experiencing a bit of a recruiting rush as well. It's unfortunate that Alabama could not make the Final Four like Auburn did. <laughs> Who knows if they ever will. Uh, big sad, that's tough. Anyway, moving on, I really am interested about the rest of the SEC and their recruiting classes in basketball. I'm really surprised that Alabama usurped Kentucky at the top of the recruiting rankings uh, for the SEC. Kentucky is now second uh, in the SEC with three commits. Texas A&M is third in the SEC uh, with a five-star commitment um, from Manny Obaseki, who is a shooting guard. Um, and Ole-, Ole Miss is fourth, LSU is fifth, and then Auburn is sixth there with Trey Alexander and Jabari Smith. I'm actually kind of surprised Auburn's that far down on the list, but if they do get a transfer here in the next couple weeks or so, I could imagine they could be moving up just a tad. What are your thoughts on that? Excuse me, what was that? I was looking up some team rankings. Uh, I was just asking you, what are your thoughts on Auburn's potential moving up the SEC uh, recruiting rankings? They currently sit at sixth. Behind- well, it doesn't help when you only have two commits, right? So, right. like, basketball is basketball recruiting rankings are heavily, are heavily influenced by how many commitments you have. Right now, Alabama has the most commitments out of anyone in the conference, with the exception of Missouri, who has five. They're all three stars. And then they're tied with Ole Miss, who also has four, and they've got four commitments. Alabama's just went up to five as well. So Alabama actually does have the most in the conference, tied with Missouri. But once again, I go back, Missouri has all three-star commitments at the moment. Alabama's recruiting recruiting class is excellent. Going back to Auburn, though, and your question, well, Auburn's is going to jump up just because of a couple of transfers coming into the program. That will boost them up just a little bit. But once again, how many transfers is Auburn going to take? I imagine I'm more on the side right now that JT Thor will be coming back to college. And so I I don't know how many scholarships they're actually going to fill. I think you see at least two transfers come to Auburn, at least two. You could see more than that, maybe three. But I'm thinking at least two that could substantially move the needle for Auburn. I think Auburn should jump past LSU, jump past Ole Miss as well and then be up there around where Texas A&M, Kentucky, and Alabama are at once this recruiting cycle ends with the transfer portal. And I say that because Auburn's going to add two more recruits, 
and two more high-profile recruits considering of their transfer nature and the locations that they're coming from, especially if they were to add. And Ty Ty Washington is not a transfer. Ty Ty Washington is a class of 2021 point guard, the number three point guard in the class. You add Ty Ty Washington, that's going to boost this up as well. You will surge past LSU, whose recruiting class right now only features a four-star and two three-stars. You'll get past Ole Miss, who's a four-star and three three-stars. So that, that for, for example there, like Ole Miss right now, the majority of their class is three stars yet they are ranked fourth in the sec why because of volume because they brought in four recruits but not necessarily the fact that they have the best overall average of all of these other teams in the league looking at 24 7 sports on their recruiting rankings at the moment you want to talk about average of overall recruit coming into the program auburn is second in the sec at the moment with a 98.62 kentucky at the top with 99.09 alabama third with 96.5 so you want to talk about I miss Tennessee as well. Tennessee's at 98.61, right below Auburn. So it goes Alabama's fourth with a 96.5. So you, you talk about average overall recruit coming in, that changes the per, that changes your perspective of it a little bit. Once again, not talking Alabama's class at all. It is excellent. It's got volume and it's got talent, which is what puts it at the top of the SEC. But what I'm trying to explain is Auburn at sixth right now, that's a little bit more about the fact that at the time they were recruiting those two players that are a part of their recruiting class, they didn't have scholarships available. Now they have scholarships available because guess what? guys are trying to go pro that's right and something else that i'm interested in seeing is if we do pick up a guy like ty ty washington or walker kessler former five stars that has to boost auburn significantly in these standings because you look at texas a&m who's currently at third they have one five star a four star and a three star Auburn would then have two five-stars and in a, in a, in one four-star, so it would definitely put them at, at third in the SEC in recruiting, wouldn't it? I think Just it would boost them up. I think so, but it's all going to have to unfold. You've got Auburn's got to land these guys first. We're talking about potential transfers, and so far Auburn's missed on a couple of transfers, but I think once again, going back to where we started this segment at, I think they were lower on their recruiting board and some of those scholarships that they're that they're saving at the moment may be for your Walker Kesslers and your Ty Ty Washingtons and some other guys out there that they're still talking to Xavier Pinson as well. I keep forgetting about Pinson, but Pinson probably is pretty warm to Auburn at the moment, if I had to guess, based on the things that we're seeing and the things that we're hearing. So this Auburn team, they're not done recruiting. Auburn folks are going to get impatient about this because they see what's going on across the state. Here's one thing for sure. If you're going to be impatient, look, Auburn's going to land a couple of people. Just understand that. But look, this Alabama recruiting class, it is put together. They have reloaded. They are for real. They're not going anywhere. They're not. This rivalry, you just better go ahead and get used to being uncomfortable because this is going to be a heated rivalry for years to come. While Nate Oates is at Alabama, he's proven right here. Unless they start having subpar results, which this year, although I think they underachieved, they still made it to a Sweet 16, and it's obviously started a recruiting rush for them. This Alabama program, it's not going anywhere. That's right, and something that I do also want to point out is, you know, Auburn's kind of had Alabama's number these past couple of years under Pearl. I mean, initially, whenever whenever Pearl uh, started at Auburn, it was kind of a back-and-forth kind of thing, but now uh, with Alabama, with Nate Oates and their recruiting classes and just looking ahead to the future, last year, I remember I wrote, I wrote an article explaining the future of Auburn basketball and how much potential... Uh, Auburn had going down the line and how how dominant they could be but factor Alabama into the equation and not only is it a rival but it's somebody that can atop you at the top of the SEC standing so this is going to be a really interesting 
uh, rivalry here over the next couple of years just to see how it plays out and see who can get their footing because Auburn was obviously, this was a down year for them, but they still played Alabama competitively. So it'll be interesting to see, even though Alabama's bringing in what the, the, the same amount of talent that Auburn has been uh, since their Final Four run, Auburn, Auburn's got a chance to, uh, to lose a couple here to Alabama. And they already did this past year. And they did. A down year for Auburn, nonetheless. If, if Alabama finishes higher than Auburn next year, the needle, I believe, will have. Right now, it's at 50 50 for me. When you're talking about the state of the rivalry, you just can't erase, just because of one good year for Alabama basketball, you can't erase all of the good, the great that Auburn did before this season. You can't do it. Auburn had three seasons of 25 plus win years. Alabama gets one year where they went, they go 26 and seven, and everybody's ready to say that this is Alabama State. I think that's a little premature. When you look at the recruits that Auburn's bringing in this year as well, you still have to account for the fact that Auburn's returning a lot of seniority next year. They're also bringing in the number five overall player in the country. So I, I think that the needle has moved more to the middle, and this upcoming year is going to be a pivotal season in the Iron Bowl of basketball because whoever edges out the other one, I think they can generate a little bit more mo, a little more momentum moving forward in this rivalry in terms of on the recruiting trail and whatnot. But if Auburn loses again this year, if Auburn gets swept somehow this year in the basketball rivalry, loses two in the regular season to Alabama, or if Alabama has a substantially better year than Auburn again this season, then I think it is fair to say that this is shifting or has already shifted to be a basketball state for Alabama that's crimson and no longer orange and blue. This, that, that hasn't happened yet. And I don't think it will. I think that we're going to see this more 50-50 on a year-in, year-out basis with the way these two programs are recruiting right. and bringing in talent. But we said this a couple of weeks ago on the show, or maybe even just a week ago on the show, Levi and I were talking, saying that Alabama has become, has, has become the pinnacle of collegiate athletics, not just in football, but also now in basketball as it continues to trend year in and year out with these recruits coming here and these programs winning 25-plus games every single season, I think you have to say that this is becoming the pinnacle of college athletics. Right, right. And with Auburn winning so much over the past two or three years under Pearl, uh, you know, you just get, it's, get, it's gotten tighter. It's gotten tighter with Alabama figuring out how they want to play their brand of basketball, very similar to the way Auburn did it initially going to the Final Four. We're going to head to a quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we'll talk what we said we were going to talk about. What type of personality do you think each of the Auburn defensive position groups will take on in comparison to their coaches? We'll break that down on the other side of this break here on On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Coming up in about six minutes, we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on the line to get all things Auburn football, basketball, women's basketball. We are going to cover a variety of topics with Justin here on On the Line coming up in about six minutes when we go to our 2.30 break. That's Justin Ferguson of, of the Auburn Observer. But going back to a conversation that we wanted to open the show with before Namari Burnett, former five-star high school basketball prospect and now Texas Tech transfer committed to Alabama, 
Matt stole the show in the first segment. We're now going to go to how we were going to open it with a little Auburn football talk here. What type of personality do you think each of the defensive position groups will take on? And getting into this, the genesis of this segment came from, well, we got all of the defensive position group coaches yesterday with their press conference and their media availability and players typically take on traits personality traits of the coaches that are leading them and leadership traits as well so what type of personalities do we think this Auburn defense will take on now and we'll look at each of those position groups in detail let's start it off with the defensive line and the coach leading them Nick Eason what type of personality traits do you think this group will take on Lance well I think just based off of what we got to see from Nick Easton just uh, yesterday talking about just how how passionate he is about this this position group and about this team I think the one word I would say for the defensive line their personality of this season they got to be desperate last year there were so many different opportunities for Auburn in the defensive line where they just could not get home there was not a lot of energy there there wasn't a lot of desperation um, in the way that Auburn pursued the quarterback. I think this, this defensive line has to be desperate heading into ne- next season and knowing that they can't leave their secondary out to dry. Some personality traits that I've got here on the defensive line. I've got energetic. Nick Easton seems like an energetic guy. I'm going to go explosive. You see some pictures of him helping the, helping the team out and teaching them, you know, going up against the tackling dummies and whatnot and then also rambunctious he he was talking about how sometimes in the halls he'll like practice pass rush moves and whatnot I think disruptive rambunctious I'm I'm seeing an energetic personality from Nick Eason so far and I think he can convey that to his defensive line honestly I think that's something that they need because all of these words here energetic explosive rambunctious disruptive did that describe Auburn's defensive line last year no no it didn't it did (laughs) not 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 in the slightest so I think that's going to be big for Auburn to take on some of those personalities. And I think those are typically qualities of a good defensive line as well for them to be energetic, explosive, rambunctious, disruptive. I think they got to be like that if they're going to be successful in this lead. Linebackers, what are you seeing from Jeff Schmetting's group and Burt Watts? Well, with, with a guy like Burt Watts, who is currently, there was actually a piece that the Montgomery Advertiser put out yesterday talking about how he's in the running for the most energetic coach on the Auburn football defense right there with Nick Eason. I'm going to say energetic, and then another word that I thought of is moxie. These two guys, very energetic, very bouncy, talking about how Nick Eason always brings the juice to everything that he does. I'm going to say this this unit needs to be energetic, and it needs to have a lot of swag and moxie. You see the talent that both Sakomi McLean and Owen Papo bring to the table. Um, I think they're going to be able to pull that off, and I think they got to be able to do it with some confidence. So I'm going to go with energy, energy and moxie and swag for this unit this season I actually don't think they're going to be that loud maybe energetic sure but the vibe I get from Owen Papo and Zacoby McClain is quiet physical of course they're enforcers Zacoby McClain one of the hardest hitters in this league and he loves to tackle because obviously he's the SEC leader in tackles coming back I think perceptive a vibe that I get from Jeff Schmetting is that their perceptive attention to detail this this quiet physical enforcer tough guy mentality I think they're going to be tough filled generals some of the guys that he's coached at Boise State that's how I feel about this linebacker group and some of the qualities I don't think that all of a sudden overnight they become and Burt Watts isn't even the guy coaching Owen Papo and Zacoby McClain he'll be working with the outside linebackers but to go along with what you said about Burt Watts 
those outside linebackers need to be energetic. They need to be explosive. They need to be disruptive because they're an extension of that defensive line's pass rush and getting into the backfield. So I agree with you on that one to say that for Burt Watts. But I think when I'm looking at the inside linebackers, I see more quiet field generals that maybe don't talk their game, but they back up their game with physical enforcer-like play. Yeah, I agree with, I agree with you on, on that. I, I think that the defensive position coach in Watts is very energetic, and I completely agree with what you said about Papo. He's a very quiet, reserved, but very physical linebacker. He's very much like Chumo Okiki. He doesn't show a whole lot of emotion on the field. Whenever he does something great, there's not a whole lot of emotion to go with it. He's just going out there, and he's getting the job done. It's a very business-like approach to the game, and I completely agree with you. And that's an approach this Auburn linebacker group is going to need. And I think it's something that they've already had, considering I think that's what Travis Williams brought. But he was a whole lot more energetic. He was a whole, he was a whole lot more of a public figure, I think, than maybe what Jeff Schmetting may be at Auburn. There, that is a big difference there in that linebacker room. On the other side of this break, we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on the line. Stay tuned for that. We're going to get his thoughts. Auburn football, basketball, women's basketball, all that coming up here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid show so far. Got a lot of news breaking or a big news drop with Namari Burnett headed to Alabama. Texas Tech transfer, former five-star prospect. Also talk some Auburn football here and now joining us on the line, as promised, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, our Thursday guest here with us on the show. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are you? We are doing excellent here on this Thursday afternoon. Well, let's get into it. Earlier in the show, we were discussing what personalities we believe the individual position groups would take on in this Auburn defense. You know, players typically take on similar personality traits and leadership qualities as the coaches that are leading them, what type of personality traits do you think Derek Mason will pass along to his defense? Yeah, I think it's a big thing for him is just attention to detail, uh, you know, being very meticulous, being very uh, detail-oriented. Uh, that, that's his style. And, you know, when he was at Vanderbilt, when he's at Stanford, uh, you know, he didn't have the best talent around, uh, especially at Vanderbilt. But to build really good defenses, he knew – that if you play sound defense fundamentally, you have good eye discipline, you are where you're supposed to be, your hands are where you're supposed to be, um, you don't have to be the biggest, the fastest, or the strongest, or the best to make plays and be good. And that if you are really, really talented, but you don't play with those fundamentals and those that, that attention to detail, uh, it really, really uh, can, can let you down. And so I think that's kind of the – the, the personality that this defense is going to take on. Now, Auburn's defense is very, very talented. This is the top 15 roster in college football, um, you know, when you look at the recruiting rankings most years. But the thing with them is, is that they're going up against the likes of Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Texas A&M and these programs on an annual basis that usually recruit better than them. So what do you do to help overcome that, dis- that disadvantage? On the defensive side of the ball, you play really fundamentally sound football, you really harp on the little things, and I think that's something that we've seen instilled in this team early on, this defense early on, uh, from Derek Mason. And you could hear it earlier this week when we were talking to some of his position coaches under him, especially Zach Etheridge. Uh, that is that is really something that they are that uh, has kind of been phased through the entire team, and I think that's a really good path 
to be in a to be in a really good football team, especially on the defensive end. Uh, play fundamentally sound defense because offense is built to beat you. Uh, built good defense. Uh, good offense is built to beat good defense in college football. But if you play sound defense, uh, you usually uh, it make it be the be the side that makes uh, fewer mistakes. You usually can take advantage. You're talking about both Mason and Etheridge and how they bring some fundamentals to this defensive side of the football. I want to get your thoughts on Nick Eason, who is probably the most energetic position coach uh, for for Auburn this season. How desperately does this defensive line need a shot in the arm to kind of get them going this season? Yeah, I think between it's between him and Burt Watts, the edge defenders, outside linebackers coach, I think, for terms of like who's the most energetic on this team. And uh, I think that's big because they have a lot of carryover. Uh, there's some overlapping things where some of those edge guys will come down and work with Nick Easton uh, in certain drills and certain situations, which uh, you, you see that kind of overlap. And, and, yeah, I mean, this is this Auburn defensive front. and These edge, I mean, these are really good football players they've got here. They need to, you know, take that next step. But then last season we saw just how good having a generational talent like Derrick Brown was. And, you know, having a guy in Marlon Davidson that, you know, if – if Derrick Brown wasn't around, he'd be the best defensive lineman on, on this team by, by a good margin. That's just how talented these guys are. So you saw some of the after effects of it last season. So you get an NFL coach in, with, uh, in Nick Eason, um, who is going to bring that kind of um, mentality to your, to your defense. He plays, you know, he, he plays with great energy when he was in his playing days. I think he coaches with great energy as well. And that's what you got. You got a lot of physical talent on, on, on this team. And it's just, how can you best get these guys to be playing at a high level on a consistent basis? That's that's going to be the, the the big question for this defensive line. And I think Ethan, with his track record and and his NFL, uh, you know NFL pedigree, looking at how well Auburn's recruited on the defensive line the last few years, um, I think he is in a really good position to have a successful group. It's just going to be a matter of getting these guys ready to roll because it is a new system and they're going to be throwing out a lot of new stuff this season. We did our A-Day depth chart series on yesterday's show, and it's obvious this coaching staff has a lot of tough choices to make at that cornerback position as far as playing time is concerned because there's so many guys that are talented and, and so many guys that could really vie for some serious playing time next year. It's an excellent place to be if you're at Auburn because Ohio State wasn't upset that they had Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, and Cardell Jones all in that same quarterback room. So something we discussed at length yesterday, or someone we did discuss at length yesterday, was Dreshawn Miller. He's not with the team at the moment. Does that hurt him in terms of being able to play next year for Auburn? I don't think so because I think they're, they're kind of paving the way for him to jump into this starting lineup pretty quickly once he arrives. And I, and I say this, it is like, you know, Auburn brought back two top cornerbacks uh, from last season, Roger McCree, uh, you know, CB1 for them did a really good job. Nehemiah Pritch graded out statistically as one of the more disrupted of corners in all of college football last year. But by moving Pritchett to nickel and by moving Ladarius Tennyson from nickel back to safety, they, they've got a they've got a spot right there at corner. Now they've got plenty of guys. Uh, you know, a guy like uh, Jalen Simpson is doing a really good job. Of, uh, of taking advantage of these opportunities right now. Um, you have Marco Domeo, who is coming back from injury and kind of working his way back up. You've got a guy like Kamal Haddon, uh, who is a junior college transfer. You've got plenty of corners on this team. But Dreshawn Miller is going to come in not to sit on the bench. And I think the reason why Auburn went out and got him, even though they had so much depth at cornerback, is A, you can never have too many corners. 
And B, the thing with Drayshon Miller is that, you know, they kind of pave the way for him to come in uh, and play if you feel like Nehemiah Pritchett's your best option at nickel, which I think his physical talent and kind of the style he plays makes it makes it work there. So I'll be interested to see. I mean, he's going to have to you know get up to speak you know, like everybody else. But there's so many injuries, uh, nagging things, and you know, an absence of a guy like uh, uh, of a you know of a guy like Xavier um, Capers, a wide receiver. Brandon Council is a big one on the offensive line. There's so many of those guys that I think you know nothing's going to be really locked in in the fall. You could add more guys. Um, you know, this off season you're going to pick up. Um, you know, guys like uh, guys like Akuliota, uh, guys like Dylan Brooks. Uh, you know, over the summer, so I, I think a guy like Dreshawn Miller will be able to come in and really compete and have a good shot at winning the starting job. Just because um, I don't think anything's going to be set in stone because this this roster still got a lot of movement left to do between now and the start of the season. Auburn basketball fans are pulling their hair out of their heads at the moment, considering Namari Burnett is headed to Alabama, the former five-star high school prospect and now Texas Tech transfer, and then Alabama basketball fans are certainly letting everyone know about where they're at right now in this Alabama-Auburn basketball rivalry. Auburn really hasn't, Auburn hasn't brought any transfers at the moment. We've seen some of their lower-end targets like Mirion Jones head to Florida, but there's still a lot of guys out there. Do, do Does missing on a player like Mirion Jones and maybe some of these other lower-end targets mean that Auburn could be about to get some of their higher-end guys that they truly want? Yeah, I think that's a good a good point. Um, you know, the thing with Amari Burnett, it was just like Burnett and Jones were both guys we heard about early and then not quite as much recently. I think Burnett probably had bigger chance than, than Jones because he had his you know, top list, but yeah, I mean, there's a number of guys out there that are that are going to be in the mix, and Auburn, you know, only has so many spots to give out. Uh, Xavier Pinson is a big one. Uh, Noah Gurley's a big one. There's a, the transfer from Furman, uh, who's going to be making his decision this weekend. Those are kind of your big name guys that they're looking at. And of course, you could get the high schooler. You know, are they going to still be in the mix for Ty Ty Washington, uh, the five star point guard out of Arizona? There's a possibility there. Is a guy like Scoot Henderson going to be open to reclassifying? You know, he, he told 247 earlier this week um, that, you know, he hadn't thought about it that much, but it sounded like the door was still open if they wanted to go that direction. So, I mean, Auburn's still got some things to play around with. And, you know, Walker Kessler, I think Carolina is going to move heaven and earth to try to keep him on board there and bring him back in now that they've hired Hubert Davis uh, to be the to be a Roy Williams replacement. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's some really big names. You know, a guy like Namari Burnett, a guy like Jones would have been big. Um, you know, 40 because of your wing and getting it, getting some more scores out there. Uh, but I think Auburn um, still has plenty of uh, room to to get some of these bigger name guys in their in their in their uh, uh, in their classes. You know, and I think the transfers are going to be big, especially at the point guard spot. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how those dominoes fall over the next few weeks. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Last question here before you before we let you get out of here. Auburn women's basketball hires new head coach Johnny Harris. And, of course, even when Coach Flo was fired and, and now with Johnny Harris coming in, there's a lot of discourse about women's basketball fan support. What say you? Does winning or fan support come first in trying to build this program up? Well, I think winning usually comes first when it comes to a lot of non-revenue sports building themselves up. I think that's just kind of the natural course of things um, with, with, with the way – you know, on revenue sports go in college sports, whether that's women's basketball or 
softball or, you know, man, you know, even a sport like baseball in some places, you know, there's, there's, you got to build yourself up and winning gets people in the door and it, it cures everything. However, I will say this, if you are invested, if you're an Auburn fan who wants to see this on his basketball team um, really take off, start investing now. Show up now. It's going to only speed up the process. Yeah, winning is going to be the ultimate thing to get people in the door, but if people go ahead and invest now and show up and, and be supportive of this team, it's going to make it this, this going to make this program a lot more, um, you know, a lot more attractive to recruits. It's going to bring the buzz a little bit better. I think it can raise the level of the players you already have. And yeah, I mean, I think ultimately you're going to have to win some games to get people to buy in. But I go back to what Bruce Pearl did at Auburn. They had several years early on where they struggled. But people showed up and bought into the vision, and that helped them get some big-name recruits because people saw the energy and the intensity and in the, in the, in the investment from the fan base even when they weren't winning. So I think ultimately, you know, Auburn women's basketball won't have the crowds, uh, the big crowds that, that some people may want until they start winning. But I'll say this, more front-end uh, investment I think is going to only help things and speed it up uh, to get to that point a lot quicker than it would, you know, if you if nobody shows up early on. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the great content you're putting out and how they can subscribe. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com is where you can get uh, everything that I do. Uh, we had a, a premium podcast that went up uh, this afternoon. If you're subscribed for $6 a month or $60 a year, you get access to that and all the stories that we do. We email them straight into your inbox whenever they come out. So AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. Uh, football and men's basketball, a lot of coverage uh, there and a lot of podcasts um, as we get towards uh, closer to A-Day. And then uh, what else is going on with this this roster building that Bruce Pearl's undergoing with the basketball team? Justin, I appreciate you, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon and a good weekend. Y'all be good. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. We head to our final break of hour number one. We wrap up hour number one of the other side of this break. Wrapping up on the lines, hour number one here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer in our previous segment for joining us on the show this afternoon. If you missed that or if you ever miss any show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Those are all where you can find the show follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station the max roundtable on the line the drive with Bill Cameron analysis news and more seven hours of local sports talk that's all on ESPN 106.7 find the website on ESPNAU.com a look at the Masters leaderboard at the moment big golf guy love golf don't watch it as much as I play it but Masters it's a big deal, right? Like, it's a, it's a big deal. <laughs> but I figured we should mention it on today's show, considering how big of a deal it is. That total purse of $11.5 million. But let's look at that leaderboard right now. Harmon, Matsuyama, and Reed all tied at the top. Three under today as they've all finished, with the exception of Reed, who is on the 17th hole. And then they're at fourth. You got Zalatoris and then... This is a tough one to pronounce. Bazidenhout, the South African. Bless you. <laughs> those, those guys are two under, and they finished their days as well. And that's just 
the top five on that leaderboard right there on ESPN.com, looking at what's going on in the Masters today. But let's go back to our Auburn football discussion that we were having before we had Justin Ferguson on the show. We were talking about what types of personalities we think this Auburn defense will take on as far as these position groups are concerned and how it translates from their position coaches to those position groups and what leadership traits they will pass on. The one group we did not do, we've gone through defensive line and linebackers where we've agreed for the most part on those two position groups. Now we're on to defensive backs. What what, what say you, Lance? Well, Justin Ferguson kind of hit the nail on the head. The two words I had ca- kind of thought of as far as personality goes for this secondary were focused and fundamental. I think that this unit is definitely going to have that this season, but they're definitely going to need it as well. I've talked a lot on this show about how I felt about Auburn secondary in the past and how desperately I want them to improve in a couple of areas, and they gave up, what, 246 yards passing a game last season? That just doesn't cut it. So I need the secondary. I need guys like Smoke Monday to come out there and to be fundamental and to not do things that would be irrational or go after go after certain plays that they shouldn't have. Like, for instance, we know how much of a ball hawk Smoke Monday is. I don't want him to be out of position because he thinks a play is going some certain way and he wants to get an interception. I want them to be focused. I want them to be with their guy the entire time. We talk about how tight uh, of coverage Roger McCreary uh, has on certain receivers. I need him to continue that this season. And just, just overall, just be fundamental. Just know your position and play it well. Look back at that masters leaderboard here real quick once again the top three Harmon, matsuyama reed all three under and then a large group of players two under at the moment several still only halfway through their run through today their first round today three of them at two under have finished that's zalatoris simpson and then once again i'm going to do my best here but hout and then two guys that are just now making the turn lowry at two under through nine holes and then through eight holes you've got M at two under so you got some guys there that have a chance to climb those guys tied for fourth a nice little clump there at two under just not a whole lot has passed so far today we are still early in the day uh still a lot of golfers to finish up their action at the Masters I want to go through my personality traits for the defensive backfield now I'm going to go with playmakers Smoke Monday had a pick six in the 2019 Iron Bowl. He had a pick six last year. I believe it was the Tennessee game. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. So playmakers jumps off the page for me on the defense. I think they've got the ability, maybe as what you've said, maybe not always fundamentally sound, maybe sometimes prone to give up the big play over the last couple of seasons, but they've also became more oriented to creating turnovers, which I appreciate because that's something this defense was having such a hard time producing over the last couple of seasons as well I think excited would be a good word for this group because I think Zach Etheridge brings energy but I think more so than energy he brings focus to this group hard worker mentality lunch pail mentality to a defensive backfield which isn't something you always describe a defensive backfield because most of the time defensive backs are your biggest trash talkers on the football team alongside your wide receivers and sometimes that could cause disgruntled disgruntled folks on both sides right considering they're the ones trash talking each other but your defense backs tend to be your loud mouths I don't know if I see that with this group I don't see loud mouths with any guys in this defensive backfield with the exception 
of the big trash talker on the team that would be smoke monday because he'll even if he's being pushed back 75 yards on a long offensive on a long offensive drive he's trash talking all the way back to his own goal line (laughs) that's right and i think zach etheridge brings a fantastic personality to this group to kind of be able to even that out and get them to focus on the plays at hand i think that's going to be fantastic for Auburn moving forward I'm really really excited about this secondary moving forward for the Tigers Zach Etheridge has a lot to gain in his coaching career kind of similar to what Travis Williams encountered when he first got his job as linebackers coach at Auburn back what was that like 2015 2016 around when he was getting that opportunity really didn't have a whole lot of experience before that Zach Etheridge maybe even has more experience than Travis Williams did up to that point as a linebackers coach and now you see Zach Etheridge getting this opportunity after having already succeeded at other levels in Division I college football and the FBS, such as Houston, his most recent location. There's a chance for him to really elevate his career here. And the way people talk about Zach Etheridge kind of makes you think, does this guy have defensive coordinator vibes? And guess who he's getting to learn under? He's getting to learn under Derek Mason, and he's getting to work with him very closely considering Derek Mason's working with the safeties Derek Mason and Zach Etheridge talking a lot and bouncing ideas off of each other that that was what Etheridge said during his press conference yesterday I think this this could be a huge step up for Zach Etheridge in his coaching career to try and become a defensive coordinator sometime and I believe we were actually talking about this hypothetical just a couple of days ago talking about you know Derek Mason maybe he wants to get back into a head coaching position so maybe he spends one or two years here at Auburn and then he goes back to a power five school we may see Zach Etheridge potentially step up at that time or maybe even under Mason just kind of learn some things and then maybe go take a DC job somewhere else maybe I think that was more school. likely I think that's likely but both scenarios are possible and I think that's interesting to look at I think if Derek Mason left Auburn maybe Travis Williams could be a defensive coordinator candidate for Auburn I think that might be a little bit closer to home but that's it for hour number one of on the line we got hour number two coming up on the other side of this break we'll be back in just a moment On the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News and More, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com. And on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you in the studio. Lance, it's been a good show so far. If anybody missed any of it, they can go and find the podcast wherever they get their podcast are you a frequent listener of the podcast i am an occasional listener of the podcast i know that uh well you're a part of the show a lot of times yeah whenever i'm on the show i don't have to go back and listen but whenever i'm not on the show i do like to enjoy and go and uh listen to some on the line podcasting whenever i'm just hanging out at home i do enjoy that i also love listening to the drive podcast uh two really good local shows here if y'all want to go ever listen to uh recordings of the show would highly encourage y'all to do that they're both very fun 
Some Auburn University news. I believe that Auburn is no longer requiring face coverings outdoors. Just something I just saw on my Twitter feed. Very interesting. Just saw this a couple minutes ago. Face coverings strongly encouraged outdoors, although not required when physical distancing is not feasible. This policy is effective at 5 p.m. Friday, April 9th, and extends until further notice. Just something I saw there on Twitter. So that was something that John Carvalho just tweeted out. I saw on the timeline. So that is that's something that is just keeping people up to date on some things happening. You know, A Day is not that far away. A Day tickets went on sale. We are barreling towards that April seventeenth A Day game on that Saturday. Looking forward to that and seeing how Auburn lines up. Let's start off hour number two here with some college football talk. I mentioned this on yesterday's show as a future topic, and we're going to go ahead and dig right into it. I tried to get you guys to give me an answer yesterday on who y'all thought would go undefeated in college football. And we all had a hard time finding more than just Alabama as a team that we thought really had a great shot to go undefeated next year, considering there were some glaring issues facing every team at the top in college football, even Alabama. And I said, you know what? That would be a good segment to do. Let's talk about the glaring issues facing the top teams in college football. So that's what we're going to do here. What glaring issues are facing the top teams in college football? A great way to preview some of these teams as they're going through spring as well. So let's start talking about what's going on here in the Southeast because most of these teams are featured in the Southeast or the Southern part of the United States. We got one team obviously from up North, that being Ohio State, but we'll go through this group here. Alabama, the first team here. What glaring issues do you see with the Crimson Tide? Well, I think it's got to be the entire offense, but most specifically quarterback. I mean, you can't just lose somebody like Mac Jones, who honestly, out of the three players that they had that were potential Heisman candidates, you know, there there was definitely an argument to be made for him and Najee Harris just outside of Devonta Smith. They lost three Heisman finalists. I think that's enough to say Alabama may have some issues on the office, offensive side of the football this year, but as we all know, issues re- may be extreme. But they reload every right. single year. But it's just the it's just the perceived like oh they lost that talent. How could they ever potentially recover that in a recruit or a quarterback like Bryce Young? And on paper, it looks like well you really can't. But Alabama always does find a way to do it, they even do. with a new offensive coordinator in the uh, the Houston Texans coach. His name is for Bill O'Brien. He almost slipped my mind there. So Auburn def- or Alabama rather definitely has some issues on the offensive side of the football. I would argue that just to say the entire offense, not just one position or one player, but just the entire offense is the issue this year for Alabama. You've been bringing up returning production a lot and talking about Alabama, Georgia, Clemson as well. A lot of these teams lost a lot of production on the offensive side of the ball. Few teams, it seems, lost as much as Alabama did on that side of the football. So we're going to be in agreement here. You're replacing a quarterback, a running back, almost your entire receiving core. What you lose and that receiving core also wasn't totally accounted for because you're losing Jalen Waddle also who missed a lot of the season and that was a lot of production as well right there at wide receiver that may have not have been able to see the field but still an excellent receiver and may very well get drafted ahead of Devontae Smith in this next year's NFL draft along with those receivers the running back the quarterback you also lose several offensive linemen once again you made the great point if anyone in college football can reload and lose that much production and lose the core of all of their skill positions if anybody can do that it's Alabama but that doesn't mean there won't be pains along the way don't expect don't expect 
this to be the same offense, this same explosive offense that we've seen over the previous two seasons. And that could be enough to keep them from going undefeated. I doubt it. I think if there's any team that I'm going to say could go undefeated next year or will go undefeated in college football next year, I would say Alabama is more likely than any of the other teams we'll discuss today. But if there's something that could keep Alabama from winning the national championship this upcoming year is that they very well possibly run into a team that can outscore them and can maybe find a way to exploit some of the youth and some of the inexperience on the offensive side of the football for Ole Miss Alabama. comes to mind. Ole Miss immediately comes to mind. That may be a trap game. Oh, I can't get there with you because I don't think Ole Miss Come can on, stop. Noah. I don't look, man. I, you you got to agree with me here. Ole Miss couldn't stop. Could, could couldn't stop anything. I don't even know what weird cliche I can come up with to say that Ole Miss couldn't stop Ole Miss can't stop anything couldn't stop a nosebleed there's one but for sure that is good but for sure though you have to be able to say that on paper that seems like a bad matchup for Alabama at least right now if Ole Miss does get clicking to start the year off it, on paper it looks like a good game you have to agree don't they that, play that, Ole Miss later on in the season though if they get clicking early though is what I'm saying um, if they if they can start to figure things out early before they have to play Alabama they play Ole Miss game six. Nope, wrong there. My bad. Eight days on this schedule as well. They played them game five in Bryant-Denny. No way. It's in Bryant-Denny. No way. We've, no seen, way. we've seen Ole Miss do it before. We saw them do it, and I believe it was 2016, 2015. So here's the other thing. I don't see trap games on this schedule anywhere. I don't see any trap games. None for Alabama. You look at the schedule, I see zero trap games. The schedule's favorable, as it most years is, but then again, Alabama can't schedule Alabama. I understand that argument. They open with Miami and Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Alabama is definitely going to have a heavy presence in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for that ball game. Also, don't come at me with that. You think that Miami has the players to compete with Alabama at every single position group because they don't. They haven't even been able to compete with everybody in the ACC. You got to be able to dominate the ACC before I think you can even stand a chance against Alabama in this game. I agree with it you. It seems man. like every single ACC opponent that Alabama has been opening up with over the last couple of years. You know, Duke uh, was a good example. Louisville also. Glass pane meets sledgehammer. That that that's what I get. You know, <laughs> like uh, paper mache smashed. You know, after that they got Mercer, easy win. And the Mercer game is the preclude to Florida the very next week. That is on the road, but I don't think you can call that a trap game because the team that you played beforehand was Mercer. There's no looking ahead aspect to anything. You got Southern Miss the week after that. There's no looking ahead. Florida is literally the team that Alabama is going to be focused on in the first third of the season. Between Miami, Mercer, Florida, and Southern Miss, that is the team. So the one team outside of anybody else on their schedule, other than Auburn, that could possibly give them a close game, Florida, they're going to have them circled in the first quarter of the year or the first third of the year. Then after that, you got Ole Miss at home. That's going to be a blowout. Then you got AM in Kyle Field with AM having to repeat replace all of the players that they lost especially at the quarterback position no way Mississippi State on the road definitely not that's laughable Tennessee they get them at home that's also laughable they'd be lucky to win in another 5,000 days against Alabama at this point by week you got LSU at home that's a win New Mexico State at home Arkansas at home and then you got Auburn on the road Alabama's rolling in 11 and up to the uh, to the Iron Bowl I can see it. I can see if we're talking going about undefeated. teams that could potentially go undefeated, Alabama's obviously at the top. But if there would, would would be one game where I would question it, it would either be Auburn or Ole Miss. That's all I'm saying. I just will can't they believe. Win, win, will they win those games? Most likely. There's a really good chance. It's an over 50% chance that they dominate both of those games. But if I were to circle a game, if I had to, that's fair. I would look at Ole Miss and Auburn. That's fair. All fair points. Well, let's move on then here from Alabama. 
Well, another point that I want to make about Alabama, because it's about to connect to what I'm going to say about Clemson. While it is possible for freshman quarterbacks to win national championships, it is still unlikely, and you are still going to see issues, I feel like, with a freshman quarterback. You'll still experience growing pains that could keep you from winning a national title. People have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. People used to say, oh, they got a freshman quarterback, they don't have a shot at winning the national championship. And then we finally saw a couple of quarterbacks win the national championship that were freshmen, and now everybody's like, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. It's somewhere in between. It matters. Their experience matters. There's only there's a reason why in two of the last seven you've seen a freshman win the title, which is still a decent percentage. I'll tell you, it's more prevalent in today's game than it was a decade ago, but I would still lean more towards seniority than I would with a freshman quarterback. So that that's one thing about Alabama also is there's a freshman quarterback in charge that really doesn't have a whole lot of playing time. And then on top of that, he lost everything that was surrounding him. Offensive linemen, receivers, running backs, there's a, there's a lot to sort through there. And you put DJ Uyunglele, I'm trying to get that right, Uyagalele, you put him in that same situation at Clemson because they lose a lot of production on the offensive side of the ball. And the two games that we've seen DJ Uyagalele play, the two games that we've seen him do that, he lost a spring game and he lost against Notre Dame. Have we seen him want win a football game where he's been the starter yet? No, we've seen him put. We saw him put up a pre- impressive numbers against Notre Dame. I believe he threw for over three hundred. Might have been four hundred yards a game that uh, that game. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. I think he was pretty efficient in the spring game as well. I believe he said he was like twenty-two of twenty-four or something like that. He was twenty but for twenty-eight. Twenty for twenty-eight, but he hasn't been able to win a game, even his spring game. So that'd be inter- interesting. I think the glaring weakness for me on uh, for Clemson, I think it's got to be their entire backfield. Um, 118th in returning production on offense this season for the Clemson Tigers, losing Trevor Lawrence, and I believe it was, it was not Wayne Gallman. It was uh, Trevor or Travis Etienne. They both wore the same number. They both looked similar to me. I always confuse them. But Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence in that backfield, losing both of them to the NFL is going to be crucial for Clemson this season. Uh, if we're talking about the potential to lose a game, I think Clemson has a very good potential to potentially losing their title game if they do uh, sweep their division in the ACC, but that backfield, man, that's going to, going to be really hard to replace uh, Lawrence and Etienne. Excuse me, he did he did win a game that he started. He beat Boston College 34-28. Oh, to 28. Goodness gracious, he beat Boston College, y'all. Look, he did well. Let's just be real. He did well in those two games. I'm not going to disparage the player. I think he's going to be an excellent quarterback. He went 30-41 for 41 against Boston College with 342 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Against Notre Dame, 29 for 44, 439 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He had completion percentages above 65% in both of those games. He threw for 66% against Notre Dame and 73.2% against Boston College. So he did well running the football. He also added a touchdown in both of those ball games. He's definitely more of a passing threat, I feel like, than he is a rushing threat. He was a good quarterback for Clemson, definitely, last year. I still just wonder, though, with all of the production he lost on the offensive side of the ball, if Clemson doesn't suffer some random upset insert here that we've seen them lose over the last couple of years in the ACC, Pittsburgh, it happens, just saying, they've got their fair share of losses. I shouldn't say fair share of losses. They they got that one every couple of years that they lose to some random team that they shouldn't have lost to because it's hard to go undefeated in college football. And so if I'm going to say a glaring issue facing Clemson this upcoming year, the offense lost a a substantial amount of production. Can you go and find – 
their returning production numbers on the offensive side of the ball because you had those statistics for us for a couple of days ago. Yeah, for Clemson. Yeah, so it's off- offensively, it's, it's 118th nationally. They're 60- 65th overall in the country, but that offense, man, they bring back nothing. I believe it was 39% of their returning production. Let me look real quick. Is that all DJ Uyaglele? It might just be all DJ Uyaglele. There you go. Oh, I got so close. There. I got You're so close. There. 46% on the I messed offense. it up the first time. I don't know why I messed up. They do bring back 92% of their defense, which wasn't overly impressive, but still, to bring back 92% of your defense... Defense one- doesn't win championships anymore, though. You wouldn't dare. I would dare. Defense doesn't win championships anymore. Nick Saban said it the other day when he was talking. I can't remember where he was talking, but we saw a video of Nick Saban talking about the transition from his defensive mindset to outscoring opponents, and that's so true. Look at the last couple of national championships, man. Alabama put up 52 on Ohio State, gave up 25 or whatever it was. LSU torched the earth, not with a great defense, with a great offense. Might be the best ever. I think it is. the. I think the last two offenses have been the be- the two best college football offenses we've seen. Regardless of how you want to shake it, whichever one you want to put up there, they've been the two best college football offenses. There's no secret why uh, that, that offense is winning championships these days, not defense. There's a reason why Kirby Smart and Georgia can't do it. There's a there's 100 a reason on that one. That's a really good point. So it, it, the the game has shifted, and so when you're talking about teams like Clemson who lost all of that production and all they're bringing back is DJ Uyagalale, is Uyagalale enough to make up for all of the losses that they have on the offensive side of the ball? Now Justin Ross could not have been included as returning production considering he didn't play last year. He's going to play this year, but he's also coming back of a year off due to a. a, a uh, was it a heart condition? Was that the issue with Justin Ross? Do you remember? I believe he tore his ACL or broke some something in his leg. It was some kind kind of leg injury, if I'm not mistaken. I can look it up real quick for you. Yeah, go and find that information for you. But Justin Ross missed the last year of football due to sitting out due to an injury or a condition. And then you've got, like you said, all, all that production, leaving Travis Etienne's gone. He was a big piece of that offense. I mean, the offense was virtually built around him and, tra- and Trevor Lawrence. So you you got to find a way. you got to – find a way to put all those pieces together this year and that might be enough to just keep them from winning a title but I'll tell you this between the two teams that we've talked about already Alabama and Clemson if I'm going to choose one of those teams to win the national championship this year I'm going to choose Alabama over Clemson yeah I was actually mistaken it was a fusion condition of his neck and spine that uh, required surgery I don't know why I thought heartening but that's right I, I thought I knew it was a condition rather than uh than an injury the ACL didn't sound right but I still go back to Uyangalale i just wonder if this, when comparing Clemson to Alabama this year for the for the national championship, if those two were to meet, the defenses are comparable. Alabama's defense is going to be better than Clemson's this year, I feel like. They return a lot on that side of the football. Clemson returns a lot on that side of the football as well, but this Alabama team has geared up again for having actually, I believe it's going to be a better defense here in year three under Pete Golding than it has been over the last couple of years under Pete Golding. Year three's got to be better, right? And he turned it around towards the back half of last year. And then you're asking me to compare the offenses. I'm going to trust Alabama's weapons that they've got coming back with John Mechie and, and Bryce Young, who we believe will be a great quarterback, but John Mechie as a receiver and some of these other guys, they've, they've been doing it in the, in the shadows of Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, but they have been doing it something that I want to point out I think this is a really good point talking about potential losses on the schedule for Clemson this season they have to play Georgia to open the season and then the two teams that have kind of upset them over the past couple years being Syracuse and Pittsburgh they have to play back-to-back road games against the Orange and the Panthers in the middle of October tantalizing some definite (laughs) upset potential there 
uh, in both of those games. Honestly, I preseason I may pick them to lose one of those games. I just have to look at production and and quarterbacks and just the, just the overall flow. But I, the, one of those two games is definitely losable. And then outside of that, you got to play Georgia, NC I mean, State on the road as well. NC State on the road. You got to play at Louisville. I mean, there there are some definite definite. Uh, potential upsets I don't want to say definite losses but definite potential for upsets here on the schedule the Georgia one I'm, I'm going with the L I, th- I think Georgia beats them week one as well so there could go there there goes their undefeated season right away this Georgia defense will be enough to force this team to stumble week one you lost once again go back to those statistics for Clemson returning production on the offensive side of the ball 118th nationally you are almost you're towards the bottom like and more more than just towards the bottom you are the you bottom. are the bottom <laughs> you are you make up the bottom of college football and returning production on the offensive side of the ball and you have to figure it out against one of the elite defensive programs in all of college football in the first game of the season good luck i got them losing that ball game it's not going to happen they're not going to lose or rather i'm sorry they are going to lose <laughs> what do you mean it's not going to happen <laughs> it's not it, georgia georgia's going to be able to pull that off they're not going to be able to win that game We'll talk about some other teams as well. Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Pac-12 team insert here. What glaring issues are facing some of the most prestigious programs in college football. We're breaking it down here on On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Call into the show at 334-321-1390. Whatever's on your mind, we'll take your call. 334-321-1390. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you here on On the Line. Gus Malzahn is trolling Florida. I think this is hilarious. He puts up a billboard in Gainesville that says, quote, 124 miles to the future of college football. (laughs) That's pretty good. Put it up in Gainesville. That's funny. Oh, my goodness. That's funny. This is totally a Gus Malzahn thing, though, because I, I think back to 2017 and what he said to Kirby Smart at midfield <laughs> after the Georgia game, and then what he said after that ball game, said, we'll see you in Atlanta, and then Kirby Smart said, I'll tell Nick you said that, and he says, you do that, which was peak Gus Malzahn. Ooh. 2017 was peak Gus Malzahn at Auburn, but the, he's got his swag back. It definitely feels like Malzahn has his swag back now that he's at UCF and there's no reason for him to not do this at UCF and there's absolutely no reason in my mind for UCF to not pull this whole we were the national champions back in 2017 blah 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 because they don't even believe that they were the national champions in 2017 right like they couldn't possibly believe that I don't think so. I think I don't think even if you're a big if you're a fan of the program, you can say with confidence that yeah, we won the Natty. We won the Natty in 2017 for sure. Because I think it's more of UCF just trolling everybody else. And you know the saying goes that all PR is good PR. That there's no such thing as bad publicity. UCF's just wanting to be relevant. And guess what? UCF's relevant. They were relevant before Gus Malzahn got there. And now Gus Malzahn coming here, it's kind of like guerrilla advertising tactics here with Malzahn. I mean, he put up a billboard straight in the middle of one of the programs that he's looking to steal recruits from. Yep. That's aggressive. I mean, this is the best group of five (laughs) team. Yeah, this is the best group of five team in the country. I mean, if anybody's going to do it outside of the Power Five, it's going to be UCF. 100%. And they are the most vocal and the most aggressive. I like the fact that you said aggressive, the most rambunctious, the most loud out of every single group of five team out there and they do it because they want to be relevant they want to 
be in the running to attract recruits. When UCF sends a recruit a letter and it says University of Central Florida, they want to think that they want those recruits to know that it's a D1 program and not a junior college. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we're talking about like powerful group of five teams. I mean, Memphis and Houston had their run in the American Athletic and South Florida actually was was pretty good there for a couple of years and now they've kind of faded into irrelevance see we were talking about it over the break we're like is charlie strong still there i think he is and then we look and he's not it's like well remember he was at alabama this past year as an analyst right so i I totally forgot about that just completely forgotten about south florida but you know talking about powerful group of five teams this is definitely the best the most consistent power group of five team that there is out there they have been for uh, for for a decade outside of the uh, I believe it was the O and twelve season that they had before they were really really good, um, I, well actually it was two years removed I believe they went eight and five and then they had that season in twenty seventeen when they when they beat Auburn and claimed the national title. So who's the biggest threat to Gus Malzahn's program in Florida? I think I think he, he's targeting the University of Florida right now. I think you could either go. Florida or you could go South Florida as far as his as, biggest threat to him as the biggest threat to him because like you said he's trying to take recruits from the Gators right now and I think that's a fantastic tac- tactic to but do so but if you so. don't get them if you don't get them then you never had them and UCF really is just it's all kind of gravy on top of the mashed potatoes when you get when you get those recruits because you don't expect to land them you're just putting yourself out there for them I think if, if there's a threat to Malzahn's program, it's got to be it's got to come from below him, right? It's got to come from another group of five emerging to provide him competition because right now nobody is competing with UCF on their tier. That's right. I I, I agree with that. So, so if, I would say USF. Yeah, I would say USF. But just looking at what they what they lose, you know, they they don't have Charlie Strong anymore, and I believe they are very very low on the returning production list yeah they are 101st nationally 59 percent usf overall. is usf is 51 percent on offense and 68 percent on defense offensively 109th in the country so they're not bringing back a whole lot so if we're talking about them potentially taking over malzahn and ucf it's definitely not going to be this season considering how poor they played last year but i can definitely see it in the future uh, just not right now. But I do agree with you that if it, there is going to be a threat, it has to come from underneath Malzahn, because anything above him would just him be—he would be the threat. He would be overtaking a team like Florida or Florida State. There was a three-year run for USF that was spanning Willie Taggart's final two seasons and Charlie Strong's first season, where they were pretty good. Maybe I'll just tag it four years here and say two years of Charlie Strong, two years of Willie Taggart, which I think you could say they were Willie Taggart's guys because. Charlie Strong's program depreciated in value rapidly in his time there. But under Taggart, he had him at eight and five, eleven and two, and then he left. Charlie Strong had him at ten and two and then seven and six. And then obviously the dark days, four and eight, and then this past year, one and eight. USF's not in a great place right now, but if and I don't really see too many threats out of the state of Florida right now that could jeopardize what Gus Malzahn's trying to do at UCF. It's really a great place to just go and win and then possibly propel yourself back to the power five i don't see many threats because usf's in the gutter fiu and florida atlantic will never be able to sustain success at a high level on a year in a year out basis like ucf has been able to do that won't happen because they've never done it in the past and they just don't have the resources the conference usa is also in a tier below the american athletic conference we've seen teams in the american athletic conference compete on the national stage ucf one of those programs cincinnati another one you're correct so I don't see anyone outside of US, USF possibly being able to 
provide a threat to Malzahn's program, but USF right now in the gutter. So USF, I only say that because they are in the American and they have succeeded at that level before, but right now, once again, program is in the gutter. Now, the real question here, the one that I would like to talk about the most as we're running out of time in this segment is, what major program in Florida does Gus Malzahn threaten the most? I think it has to be Florida State. Because if we're talking about him potentially threatening another team and overtaking them, look at what Florida State's been doing recently. They've been playing some bad, bad football. And they did kind of find their quarterback. They did kind of find their rhythm last year, but they weren't able to be consistent. I think if we're talking about UCF overtaking another program in Florida, it has to be Florida State. I don't think they're near Florida right now. I do think what Malzahn did in Gainesville is entertaining, and it's a good tactic. But if you're going to go after somebody and you're going to go after recruits, I think you got to look at Florida State first. Another side point about USF real quick that I want to make because I didn't realize this until I mapped out Tallahassee to Orlando. I forgot that Tampa is right next to Orlando and USF is located in Tampa or I forgot that USF was located in Tampa. They're recruiting the same location. So that's another reason why that could be a threat for Malzahn. But I would agree with you. UCF finding their way out of Central Florida, getting into FSU and Miami territory. And those teams are a lot closer to UCF than Florida is closer to UCF, right? Like, Right. Florida State and Miami could lose recruits feasibly to Gus Malzahn at UCF, and that would be a major threat to those programs. We'll be back with more of On the Line. We've got 30 minutes left in the show. Stay with us here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You can call in at 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you here on On the Line. Going back to something we were talking about earlier, what glaring issues are facing the top teams in college football? We went through Alabama and Clemson. Everybody's got an issue, and this year it seems like all the top teams are dealing with something that could prevent them from going undefeated, could prevent them from winning a national championship. I'm expecting a down year in college football at the top. This could be another year where you see a team like LSU, the stars align, and somebody ends up in the national championship game that maybe you didn't expect because so much talent left the game after this past year. So many stars are going to the NFL draft. Think about how deep some of these classes are in the NFL draft. The quarterback position. Seems like everybody wants a quarterback in the first round. Four or five teams could be drafting one this year, and they all think their guy is the future of their franchise. Wide receiver, deep once again, just like it was the previous year. There are many position groups that are super deep going into this NFL draft is because there was a lot of talent that just left college football and I think a lot of teams are trying to figure out how are we going to replace all this going into our first full year of college football in over two years Clemson's over here like man we got to play Georgia week one can we can we just play an all ACC schedule again well let's get to it then a couple of these other teams like I said we already went through Alabama and Clemson let's talk about those Georgia Bulldogs what glaring issue is facing Georgia going into this 2021 season I think I've got to go with defense, and it's very similar to my answer to Ohio State. Interesting. I also have to go with secondary, and the reason that I say that is because even though they picked up that West Virginia transfer, they Hikey still Smith. Th- he's one of the two. He he would be the starter. There's only one other starter returning in that secondary. Georgia, 39 percent of their returning production on the defensive side of the ball. That's 126 nationally. That's next to worst 
in the country. So talking about the defensive side of the football for Georgia, they got to be able to get some of those young kids prepared, and I don't think they're going to be able to do that in time to, to, to go undefeated. If we're talking about the glaring weaknesses that could potentially lead these Blue Bloods to losing a game, I think you got to look at defense for Georgia, and you got to look at that de- uh, secondary specifically. For me, for Georgia, it's Kirby Smart. Will this good offensive, answer. It is a good answer. Will this offensive scheme hold the talent back from achieving what is necessary to win a title? Now, some of you may be saying, well, how is Kirby Smart related to the offensive scheme? He's not the offensive coordinator. Kirby Smart's the one who sanctions this gross style of play. I believe now that he's been there since, what, 2015, 2016, something like that, like, like six, seven years into your tenure now, this offense, every year, it's the same thing over and over again. We're stuck in 2012 with Kirby Smart at Georgia. He still thinks that defense is the way to win championships, that he can win with a defense that only allows 15 a game as long as his offense can find a way to score more than 15 a game, which is, sure, on paper, yes, that logically makes sense, but here's the problem. Georgia has lost games in recent memory where their defense has played really well, but their offense has just been downright abysmal. And you think back to the year where, in 2017, they were number one, come to Jordan-Hare Stadium. They got a great defense. What happens? Their defense just didn't play great that one day, and their offense couldn't get off the starting line either, and they get blown out. That happens to Georgia every single season. That's a big reason why they have not been able to get past Alabama at the SEC championship game and be able to beat them. Even that one year in the national championship game back in 2017-2018. You talk about the two teams that Auburn beat that year. They meet in the national championship game. Georgia's got a lead. Their defense is playing well. You only gave up 26 total. You gave up less than that. You gave up like 20, whatever it was, across regulation. And you still lose. Why? Because you just couldn't score more than 23 points. And you I, need to score more than 23 points to win the national championship in college football. I think a lot of it goes back to uh, quarterback play and offensive coordinator scheme. I cannot believe they let Justin Fields go. I cannot believe they let him slip through their hands. What this Georgia offense could have potentially looked like with Fields, it would have been better. I don't think it would have been fantastic because the scheme's still crap, but it would have been better. It would have been an improvement over JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett this season. Although I do want to point out, back in 2012, Georgia was actually averaging 37.5 points per game uh, scored on offense. I think it was because they had Aaron Murray, and that was that was the year that they uh, they went to the SEC title game and barely lost to uh, Alabama in a really good game. That was before Kirby Smart, though. Right. Regardless, when when, Kir- <laughs> when Kirby Smart got to Georgia, the offense has been abysmal. It's, you, you made a really good point. Go further Since, than, I wouldn't say abysmal because it's been good against – average to below average teams but it has not been good in on a games blue where blood it matters. scale yeah when it matters scale, I would say it, the offense it's disappears yeah, disappears it's not good enough so i agree with you there and i think it's scheme related so bland we're living in 2012 with kirby smart in georgia right now he's still like he is following the old nick saban mold he's yet to get the offense revolutionized like nick saban switched it he, he was talking about in that video we were, we were talking about earlier in the show where Nick Saban was on camera and was talking about how he shifted his his philosophy from having a great defense game manager on the offensive side of the ball and just, you know, out-physically teams. He's even changed that. He's trying to outscore teams. His defense has been above average over the last couple of years, but he's been outscoring people at an elite level to the point where, like, Alabama fans have been legit infuriated by what they've seen on the defensive side of the ball. Can't tell you how many times. You stumble on Twitter last year and you see people saying, fire Pete Golding, blah, 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 blah. He turns around in the second half of the year, puts a pretty good defensive product out there. Alabama's got the offense and the defense. Georgia's over here like, we can hold you to 13, but uh, or, or we'll hold you to 17, but we might only score 14, and they'll lose games that way. 
And even when they play a great offense that can split the average there and possibly, you know, score into the low 20s, their offense still is not consistent enough to be able to score against some of the best teams. We've seen some low-scoring games with them against Notre Dame. This Georgia team, for me, it's, it's all the scheme on the offensive side of the ball. Now, with that being said, let's look at their schedule. They've got Clemson week one, and I said earlier in the show that I expect Georgia to beat Clemson in that ball game. I do think that Georgia will go 1-0 after week one at least at the moment I mean we got to see through a day and then go through the summer there's a lot of information to be had until we get to week one of college football but at the moment I'm going to say that I feel pretty confident that Georgia will beat Clemson week one after that they got UAB win South Carolina at home win Vanderbilt on the road win Arkansas (laughs) stop that (laughs) Arkansas at home win so so far we got them at five and oh then they got to go to Auburn week six I think that's a win at the moment I don't know if Auburn is going to be far enough along at that point in the season so that's the thing so many people complained about having to play Georgia and Alabama at the end of the year but it was Auburn's greatest advocate to make it to the college football playoff at the end and yes you're still getting to play them but it was fortunate for Auburn that they were able to at least have the entire season to figure to figure things out before you got to play them now you have to have things figured out quicker than you typically do and Georgia's typically more on schedule than Auburn is by midseason Initially, I, I I think it's entertaining that the fan base was like, "Yeah, we're finally giving what we want. We finally get to play Georgia earlier on in I don't the season." Know if and it's then, what you want, and instead of having to play both Alabama and Georgia like in November, and now looking at it, it's like, mm, and you got to play LSU at the end of the year. I don't really not now, not this year, but right. some years. I don't really know if I want to have to prepare for Georgia early on in the season after seeing the product that Auburn put on the field last year. Of course, who knows? Though it's just been one year so far of it, but it, things may change. But just based off of one season, I'd say that I would rather have Georgia in November than Georgia in September or early October and Georgia's got Auburn's number at the moment so we'll say they win that game they beat Kentucky at home win Florida in Jacksonville I, I think they win that game too because I don't trust Emory Jones and I, I didn't even put Florida on my list of top teams in college football after last season couldn't get it done with Kyle Trask gets blown out by Oklahoma and the well I don't even remember what bowl game that was I think it, it was, was a, the it was a New Year's bowl, Six right? bowl game I guess but didn't matter they got blown out Florida fans are over here like what bowl game Missouri (laughs) at home that's probably a win Tennessee on the road Charleston Southern at home and then you get Georgia Tech on the road like so just looking at the schedule those folks out there saying that Georgia should be undefeated you know after they beat Clemson in week one that's a you're just trying not to get upset at that point it's a, that's exactly the way to phrase it. After you beat Clemson, there are no games that you can lose. You're just trying not to get upset. And we're, if You're we're better talk- than everybody on your schedule from that point. That's right. If we're talking about teams that could potentially lose one game, we're talking about Clemson. It's like, well, they have teams that could definitely upset them looking at this schedule outside of maybe Auburn it's like there's no and well I discount Florida because I agree with you I don't think Emory Jones is a competent enough quarterback also to, Georgia gets up for that game that's the, the right. type of game that Georgia loses would be that South Carolina game from a couple years ago when they doinked the field goal in that in that ball game two seasons ago back in 2019 and there's the images of Helensky over on the trainer's bench putting his hands up like this I have that saved to my phone as a meme but this Georgia team when I look at the schedule I don't see teams on here that can outscore Georgia the defense is going to be ready to play I don't see too many offensively talented teams it's a pretty bad schedule so Georgia could be 12 and 0 guess who will outscore Georgia this season if they make it to the title game it'll be Alabama and I think the perfect example I think you brought this up (laughs) the perfect example is last year's game the final score against Georgia and Alabama 41 to 24 you're talking about Georgia not being able to score enough points to keep up Exactly. It's, that's the, the, the perfect final score to make that argument. Ohio State up in 
Ohio, obviously. Freshman quarterback will start for the Buckeyes. That's my main issue with Ohio State moving along on this list of teams with top teams. All these top teams in college football have a glaring issue. That's what we're discussing right now. What glaring issue right now in the spring do we see from these top teams in college football? Now onto Ohio State. A freshman quarterback will start for Ohio State this year, and none of them have experience worth writing about. They have close to zero experience across three potential freshman quarterbacks at Ohio State. If they couldn't get it done with Justin Fields, what makes you think these guys will get it done? I really think this squad is going to have a hard time making it out of the regular season undefeated more than any of the other teams we've talked about because this Ohio State team has been prone to lose and not just lose, but get blown out by some teams that they really had no business losing to like Purdue a couple of years ago and maybe Iowa as well if I remember like this Ohio State program is not averse to dropping one in Big Ten play that they shouldn't lose and now they've got to bring along a true freshman quarterback that has not played at all or a redshirt freshman quarterback that has not played at all I think it's fair to say that this Ohio State team could drop a game or two. That's a fantastic point, and I don't disagree with you. I think it's a very, very valid point. What I would say is that just based off of what we've seen in college football these past four or five years, seeing freshman quarterbacks take the reins and perform, I would say my concern is more on the defensive side of the ball than a freshman quarterback taking the reins because looking at what their secondary did last season. So there's a lot of issues with Ohio State. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Not only is there a freshman quarterback, I'm like, I can get past that, but I can't get past the secondary and you if you combine them together it's a very very bad recipe for potentially losing one or two games just looking at the returning production 119th nationally on the defensive side of the ball this this defense gave up 304 yards passing last season in the big 10 in the big 10 they run the ball there this isn't the big 12 this is the big 10 where you play defense and you run the ball and it's boring but last season ohio state was one of the worst pass defenses in the country Couple that with the fact that it was like, oh, well, they had a first-round corner and Sean Wade. Well, he was terrible. Who do they have replacing him? Looking at their recruiting class, they only have two secondary players that they're signed, none better than a mid-tier four-star. So just looking at this program moving forward on the defensive side of the ball, they've been getting progressively worse and worse and worse after they lost the Bosa brothers. This defense may be really bad this season. Look at their schedule. They play Minnesota on the road to open up the year. Minnesota trying to have a bounce-back season after a disappointing year in 2020. They get Oregon in Ohio Stadium in Week 2. Interesting. Interesting game. Oregon also having to replace a lot. They were the insert Pac-12 team. I think USC or UCLA maybe even have something to say about trying to be a better team. Washington, of course, also. uh, They went to the Pac-12 title game this past year, so Oregon's got to replace a lot, especially a quarterback, considering Tyler Shuck decided to transfer out to Texas Tech. They get Tulsa after that. There's a win. Akron's a win at Rutgers. That's a win. Maryland at home, also a win. So feasibly undefeated, probably by the mid- by the midway point of the year, when on when on October 16th they've got a bye week. After that, though, Indiana on the road, Penn State at home, Nebraska on the road, Purdue at home, Michigan State at home, and Michigan on the road. Their final six games all feature games that I would consider teams that have the talent to upset Ohio State if they didn't bring their A, their a game. I, I agree. Especially Indiana, Michigan, Michigan yeah. State. Well, you're talking about Indiana, about the game that went down to the wire this season. I mean, if you're going to have to play them, did you say they're on the road? Yeah, on the road uh, mid-October against a team that can really sling the football around. I mean, that could be a matchup nightmare for the uh, the Buckeyes. Last one here. One more quick one. 
last team that we put in our top teams in college football pretty much this is going to be your top five as well when the college football preseason rankings come out Oklahoma boomer sooner I like this football team a lot I'm super high up on Oklahoma going into this year because I felt like their defense excelled last year better than many of their other defenses I actually think they actually had a defense of last year they also took it to an SEC team in their bowl game they bring back their quarterback this year and Spencer Rattler he seemed to turn things around after getting benched in a game midway through the year the big question always for this Oklahoma team now though it's uh, this year it's not about their defense for me it's not about what they have on their offense because they're always going to have a great offense it's not about anything really tangible on the field in terms of their, uh, in terms of their roster and you would agree with me on this Lance this is your question as well you you say on, on your sheet you say can Oklahoma's biggest threat is themselves for me Oklahoma's biggest issue is the proverbial traffic cone in the Big 12 I think I believe I said this on yesterday's show will they be able to avoid that traffic cone will they avoid it or will they hit it because they've lost to to Iowa State two out of the last three seasons and they've lost to Kansas State the last two years teams that they are vastly more talented than I expect Texas to be a much tougher team they've lost to Texas some years where Texas had no business beating that Oklahoma team seems like every year Oklahoma's losing to somebody that they shouldn't lose to the big question about this Oklahoma team is do they avoid that because if they do they are undefeated going into they're, they're an undefeated team going into the college football playoff you're right Oklahoma consistently shoots itself in the foot and the Big 12 in general shoots itself in the foot whenever it comes to trying to make the playoff this last year uh, was no exception Oklahoma losing to both Iowa State and Kansas State I believe it was back-to-back games where you're talking about that proverbial uh, traffic cone in the road I think it's got to be Kansas State this season because they have to play on the road against the Wildcats that's a very losable game but on paper just returning production I mean they're 43rd nationally that's not terrible 78% on offense 75% on defense they bring back Rattler they got some pieces at the wide receiver position I mean this team looks sound on paper they've been playing better defense as of late like you mentioned they blew out Florida in the bowl game so moving forward if they do kind of figure out how to get past those games that they should win i.e. specifically Kansas State and Iowa State then like you said this team could very well go undefeated they get Kansas State on the road I don't view Kansas State as, as too big of a threat I don't know how you lose to them three years in a row so I think they they will probably have that game circled early on on their schedule but they they get Iowa State at home which I think benefits Oklahoma as well despite having lost to them in the regular season last year they open up on the road at Tulane that is shocking that they are playing at Tulane to open Hmm. up the season but they do play at Tulane to open the season win Western Carolina at home win they get Nebraska at home win West Virginia at home I'm also going to take as a win after we've seen the transfers out of that West Virginia program you're 4-0 to start the year Kansas State on the road I've already explained I don't think you lose to them three years in a row so it was kind of like that they were 0-2 this year in Big 12 play and I said, there's no way this team loses three. There's, there's no way this team goes 0-3 in Big 12 play. That just that, that, that is not synonymous with Oklahoma. So I think they beat Kansas State. You look at that, that's 5-0. And then you got Texas on the road, or in the Cotton Bowl, that is. That's going to be a fun game. Take that out aside, though, because that is a losable football game. The, the talent is going to be comparable on both sides, and now the coaching is probably going to be as well. TCU at home, win. Kansas on the road, you better win that game. <laughs> Texas Tech at home, win. You get a bye week before you go to Baylor, which could be tricky, but you get a bye week. So I think you, you're you not sleeping when you go there. You beat Baylor on the road. You get Iowa State at home as well. That's a win. And then you got Oklahoma State and Boone Pickens Stadium, which should always be a fun game in Bedlam. But I think Oklahoma's better than by far than, than everyone, every other team on their schedule with the exception of Texas. I think Texas has comparable talent and now comparable coaching. So with that, that that's going to be a fun game in the Cotton Bowl. 
Maybe Texas should have been the biggest threat, the, the biggest issue for Oklahoma going into this year. That would have been another, Sarkeesian. Yeah, it would have been another great pick. So, but I do like this Oklahoma team a lot. I like this Oklahoma team from a from a complete standpoint more than maybe some of the other teams that we talked about. I like Oklahoma more than Ohio State this year. I definitely do. When you're talking about what's returning and what you have in place, and then the fact that they could go somewhere to say that you got a returning quarterback and Ohio State's going to be starting a freshman. No matter what, Ohio State will be starting a freshman. We'll be back to wrap up the show on the other side of this break here on On the Line. Wrapping up on the line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Only got like two minutes left in the show. Noel Gardner and Lance Dahl with you here. Before we head out of here, we'll remind you that the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck follows us at 4 this afternoon as they do every weekday. You're on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. They'll be taking your calls just as we do every day. The number to call for them, 334-321-1390. Our phone lines are closed for the rest of our show, considering we just got a minute left. But it's been a good show today, Lance. A good show. Well, look at that Masters leaderboard before we get out of here. Rose at the top of it. Under four right now. uh, Or four under, excuse me. And that's through 13 holes. And then there's two tied with three under. And they finished their days. Harmon and Matsuyama. After that, a clump of... Guys at two under, that's Zalatoris, Simpson, Bazidenhout, and Reed all finished their days at two under. And uh, there was also M, who was at one point two under about halfway through his round. He finished even. Uh, well, he has not finished it even. He's right now He's right now at even with par, 11 holes through his day. And so there's still a lot to go through with the Masters today, but more than half of, of today's group of golfers has has finished up their day so that's a look at the leaderboard right now rose at four under leading the group 13 holes through his day we got about 20 seconds left in the show lance has been a good show today my man really enjoyed it really love talking college football uh potential uh stats and different potential records and schedules always a lot of fun big news today as well texas tech transferring amari burnett to alabama we talked about a lot if you missed any of the show go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast the drive with bill cameron coming up in about four minutes top of the hour at 4 p.m bill and dan will be taking your calls we'll be back with you tomorrow to wrap up your work week you know where to find us